We're going to be back in the book of Colossians this evening, chapter number 3. Colossians 3, as we continue our study in this uh, powerful book. And actually, uh, if you want, you can go over to Ephesians 5 as well and maybe put a marker there. Because we're going to read a a passage, a portion of this chapter that really parallels very closely uh, a passage out of Ephesians chapter 5. And what I really want to, to do is we, as we kind of make the connection uh, in, this, in these two passages is to understand kind of the, uh, the big picture teaching uh, of, of, of what is being said here. I, I think I've described this before, maybe in a way uh, that you, you all have heard, but the Word of God is kind of like uh, if we were to take and, and, and maybe take all the walls... In, in this church building, the whole building here and downstairs and the old building, gym and the basement there. And if you were to paint a very detailed mural all throughout uh, the entire building and all of it connected and interconnected and, and was really one scene, uh, but, but within that mural you could look and see great detail. I don't know, have any of you ever been at Gettysburg, for instance? If you go out to Gettysburg in Pennsylvania, uh, they've got a a diorama there that's a a, a full room, basically, that's a a very intricate mural that's painted there depicting the the, the battles there at at Gettysburg. And and yet, the closer you look at things, the more detail you see. But sometimes, you kind of get lost between looking in at details and then trying to take in the whole thing. And I think the Bible can be that way sometimes too, you know. Uh, it, it, the, the Bible is really one story. It's, it's one big picture from Genesis to Revelation. It's, it's the revelation of God to man. It, it tells the story of the history of the world and God's relationship to man. And it's the story of redemption from the beginning until the final end, uh, until we're in eternity. And it, it paints that big picture. But along the way... There are lots and lots and lots of small details. And there are a lot of details that I haven't even discovered yet, and you haven't either. I mean, the more that we read it and the more that we study it, the more we see and the more that we learn. But sometimes we have to balance how, how, how closely we're drilling down into various things. Like, for instance, you might spend a lot of time studying a particular word, or you might step back and take some time and just do an overview of a book, you know, and, and so there's kind of a balance in that, and in this particular passage, I, I want to do, to, to a degree, just step back just a little bit and try and see some of the bigger picture, and I think you'll see tonight that as we compare scripture with scripture, uh, there is a big picture that really ties in with a theme that is common throughout the New Testament, and it actually ties in with our annual theme of the year, abiding in Christ. And the passage that we're going to read tonight, uh, I, I believe, even though found on these pages that we'll be reading, we do not find the name of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. We don't find Him on the pages by name But really what this is, is a message that is admonishing us to live a spirit-filled life. And so we're in Colossians 3, and we're going to pick it up in verse number 15. And if you would stand with me as we read this tonight, 
If you remember last week we looked at the preceding verses and it was really all about uh, how we can have uh, strong relationships with one another in Christ. And so really we could summarize that by saying that we are to be at peace with one another. But now tonight he says in verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. So not only is the peace of God to rule in the church, but it's to rule in our own lives and it's to rule in us. And then it says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body and be thankful. Then it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making, or singing, sorry, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. We're going to read down into chapter 4 just a little bit. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Thank you for standing. You can be seated tonight. If you're familiar uh, with the teaching in Ephesians about the family and the home and marriage uh, and parental to children relationships, you probably noticed, and even as we were reading along here, as I was reading in a verse, I kind of defaulted to the verse that we often quote out of Ephesians 5 about uh, the, being filled with the Spirit, right? And, and it's just these, you, you probably notice how closely these things are related, how similar even the wording is. Now, there's a reason for that. I've told you uh, that the, the book of Colossians really is kind of a parallel book to the book of Ephesians, and there are many similarities between them in teaching. These books were written to churches uh, kind of in the same region of the world, uh, roughly about the same time that they were written. So these were things that were uh, needs that were taking place in these churches were probably fairly uh, similar. Uh, they were living in a, a similar area at, at, a, uh, at the same time, and so uh, the, the, the needs that needed to be addressed were, were common. However, I will be the first to admit that there have been times 
uh, in fact, up until not too long ago, that I have kind of read uh, these passages of Scripture as being somewhat uh, divided, not, not between Colossians and Ephesians so much, but, for instance... You get uh, verses 16 and 17 here in Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then it comes to verse 18 and it starts addressing family relationships. And I've kind of looked at that as a change in subject. But really when you compare the wording of Colossians 3 and the wording of Ephesians 5, it becomes very obvious that these teachings are not separated, but they actually are linked. In other words, we could say it this way, all of the teaching on family relationships is in the context of living a spirit-filled life. You realize that if you are filled with the spirit, it's going to affect your family relationships. And the opposite is also true. Your family relationships will, to some degree, affect whether or not you're walking in the Spirit. And so these things are linked. They're linked here as well as in Ephesians 5. Now, I said at the outset that you do not find the Holy Spirit named by name on these pages that we just read. But if you're... You just hold a place there and, and go back a few pages to Ephesians 5, if you would. And I want you to notice the way that Ephesians 5 words essentially the exact same teaching, okay? Ephesians 5, verse 17. Notice what it says. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And then it goes on from verses 22 through 33 about the relationship between wives and their husbands and husbands and their wives, Chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents. Verse 4, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Uh, verse uh, 5, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. Verse 6, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Do you see how, uh, I mean, these two passages are essentially exactly the same. And Ephesians 5 uses the wording to show us that this is exactly what the Bible means when it talks about being filled with the Spirit. Now, I will say that I believe that many times Christians, and, and maybe even especially Baptists, struggle to really understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And the reason is because there are many out there that have distorted the meaning of the fullness of the Spirit. And they have dis dis distorted it to a degree and taught false doctrine 
that has actually caused those who are Bible believers to kind of recoil and say, well, we don't want any part of that, and we don't even want to be associated with that. And I think the result is that there's maybe been a bit of an overreaction to where you don't hear a whole lot of preaching about the Holy Spirit. You don't hear a whole lot of preaching about the Spirit of God being in control and, 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 and walking in the fullness of the Spirit of God. But I want you to know, it's very much a Bible doctrine. And there is a biblical understanding of being filled with the Spirit that is totally contrary, by the way, to much of what is promoted out there as fullness of the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit, let me just say this at the outset, you know this, has nothing to do with people laughing uncontrollably and falling on the ground and, 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 and just dancing around like totally out of their own control. Uh, that, th that type of stuff, you don't see that anywhere in the Bible. When people were filled with the Spirit of God in the Bible, that was not what happened. Not in the least. In fact, Paul even admonished the church at Corinth that uh, if they were speaking in unknown tongues and there was no interpreter to interpret what they were saying, someone would come into the church house, see what was going on, and assume that they were all mad. And he condemned that. Because that is not, uh, that is not being led of the Spirit of God. What is being led of the Spirit of God? Well, we find, for instance, in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they had assembled together. And it says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. You know what, it, what happened when they were filled with the Spirit? They preached the Bible in the Spirit. They had boldness to declare truth. And, and so we don't find that, that, that being filled with the Spirit is, is anything, um, it, it's, it's not weird or strange or, or, or uh, you know, spooky or anything like that. If you're filled with the Spirit, it doesn't mean that you're going to just uh, start rambling off in a language that no, nobody's ever heard. That's not found in the Bible. Uh, you're, you're not going to be able to just go up to someone and, and, and you know, by your touch, just knock them over and they're going to be healed of all their uh, infirmities. That, that stuff is not of God. That's not scriptural. That's not the way things happen, even in the New Testament. But that does not mean that you do not need to be filled with the Spirit. Because you do. In fact, we've been commanded to. So what does it look like when a person is filled with the Spirit? Well, Ephesians 5 gives a lot of instruction on how to be filled with the Spirit, as does this passage. But I, I, I want to just look at the wording here in Colossians 3 and maybe give us a little uh, clearer picture of what these things, uh, what this actually looks, looks like. Verse number 15. Notice this. It says, And let the peace of God... Rule in your hearts. You know, I think that's uh, one of the greatest evidences of true fullness of the Spirit is 
the peace of God, that peace which passes all understanding. It's not something that is manufactured. It's not something that you just drum up within yourself. It's not a result of saying, well, every morning I uh, spend about four hours in, the, uh, you know, in a monastery with monks just meditating and being at peace. That's not what it's about. True peace comes from the Spirit of God. We understand Galatians chapter 5, right? That the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And so here he's saying, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. The context is, we're to be at peace with one another. But in order to be at peace with one another, we've got to have peace in here. In fact, just a little side note here. How much of conflict and struggle and animosity between brethren is really a result of things not being right in our own spiritual life. But notice the wording as he says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. In other words, that the, that the peace that comes from God is to be the, the, the force, if I can put it that way, that is in control of your life. It's interesting that if the, 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 the admonition to let the peace of God rule, to let it rule, it, it's this idea of making a choice to accept something that is available, but there is also opportunity for the opposite. You know, having true peace and letting the peace of God rule in our lives, that doesn't mean that, that our problems go away. In fact, in order to actually obey this verse, if I'm going to let the peace of God rule in my life, that is a conscious choice. That means that it's actually contrary to that which would come naturally. That which comes naturally is to be overcome with frustration, worry, fear, temptation, sin, all of these things, and all of the things of the world and the flesh and the devil that would seek to control me, I have to yield to God and let him rule in place of those things, right? And so he talks about letting the peace of God rule in your heart. But then I think as we get to verse 16, he gets very specific of what that might look like. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. I believe that we could say that letting the word of Christ dwell in us is synonymous with being filled with the Spirit. It, we, we could say it this way, if the, word of, if the peace of God is ruling in our hearts and the word of God is dwelling in us, ultimately God will be in control of our life. Now sometimes people have this idea, again getting back to the concept of being filled with the Spirit, this idea that, well, you know, I'm, I'm always led of the Spirit and just whatever, you know, whatever I do, uh, I just kind of get this feeling that comes over me and, and I know that it's, it's the Lord, you know, there's just that, that warm, fuzzy feeling. Now listen, I, I'm not minimizing the promptings of the Holy Spirit. 
I believe that God does that. I believe that at times I have been standing at a gas pump and someone pulls up next to me and it's like the Lord says in my heart, you need to go and talk to that person, give them a gospel track, you need to witness to them. And there's just a sense within me that yes, I need to do that. I'm not minimizing the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But I do want to say to you that the, the leadership of the Holy Spirit is never separate from the Word of God. It's never separate from the Word of God. If we want to be filled with the Spirit, he says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. You have to, have, you, you have to fill yourself with the Word of God. You have to be meditating in the Word of God. You have to be, let your life be transformed by the Word of God, as we talked about on Sunday. The, the fact that the, the Word of Christ... It's, it's not just there to fill us with information. It's there to change us, to work in us. It's to dwell in us. In other words, it's to become part of us. And the Holy Spirit actually leads us in, in step with and consistent with the Word of God. And so if we're going to be filled with the Spirit, we need to let the Word of Christ dwell in us. The idea is to absorb it, to make it, part of us. But notice also, not only is the word of Christ to dwell in us, but he says, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So he addresses the fact that you need to have the word of God. Let me reiterate, if you are not in the book, you will not be in the spirit. You need the Word of God in you, influencing you, changing you. But did you know that even your music affects the fullness of the Spirit in your life? It absolutely does. In both of these passages, Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5, it addresses our music. Here it says that we're to uh, speak to one another or rather teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, I, I believe we get somewhat of an idea here of what kind of music belongs in the life of a believer who wants to be right with God. What, what is the right kind of music? Well, certainly we understand, let's just say, most of the world's music ought to be scrapped from this picture. Why? Because most of the world's music does not invite our attention or set our eyes, set our affection on things above. Most of the world's music influences us for the world and the things of the world. The relationships of the world, the possessions of the world, the entertainment of the world, wickedness, ungodliness, sinfulness, oftentimes... So if, if we're talking about the right kind of music that God would have for us in our lives, we've got to kind of separate for, for the, the vast majority of the world's music. We need to set that aside. But even music that would be called Christian music, and sometimes even church music, is not necessarily music that is conducive to a spirit-filled life. So what, what is the right kind of music? Well, notice what he says, that the right kind of music is scriptural. 
The right kind of music is scriptural. He says we are to teach and admonish one another in psalms. You know what psalms are? We, okay, we know the book of psalms. That was actually like the Jewish song book. That was their hymnal. They would sing from that. Psalms, though, are actually essentially scripture set to music. And so certainly our music ought to be scriptural. I think, in fact, and, and probably at some point we'll, we'll learn some songs together as a church that are just verses of scripture. Open your Bible. We're going to sing some scripture together. Why? It's, it's a good thing, for one, uh, to, to memorize scripture. You put it to music, makes it easier to learn it. It makes it easier to meditate on it sometimes. That's a good thing. It's also good to know that the music that we're singing is scriptural. If it comes out of the Bible, we know that to be the case, right? So, so uh, music is scriptural. We need to compare all of our music with the word of God. Does it line up? Secondly, though, the right kind of music is not only scriptural, but it is spiritual. He says, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Did you know that the right kind of music is not only biblically correct, but it actually will lift our spirit to God? It ought to encourage us. Now listen, I, I understand music is a very powerful thing, isn't it? You ever watch a, a scary movie? And, and, and you, you get on edge, you know something bad is about to happen, you're, you're getting ready to jump, and it's all because of the music. If you took the music out of scary movies, they wouldn't be scary anymore. They just wouldn't. But at the same time, happy, joyful music elicits those feelings. Really sad music elicits, elicits feelings of sadness. I mean, it's amazing. Music in itself is very powerful, isn't it? And there is an element of music that, that does affect even our flesh and our soul and the way that we feel. And sometimes we are drawn to music that makes us feel a certain way. And I don't think that's always a bad thing as long as it's used correctly. God designed music. God created it, I believe, for that purpose. But there is always a problem in, in our human nature whenever we allow our flesh or our feelings to override truth. And so truth always must come first. It must be priority. And we talk about this a lot in the fact that sometimes we might feel a certain way, but the way that we fix our feelings is to remind ourselves of truth, right? Like I might feel someday like God doesn't love me, but I know that's true. I know, I know it's not true that God doesn't love me. I know it's true that God does love me. So I remind myself of truth and therefore I am encouraged, right? Okay, so when it comes to our music, it's not that the feelings that come with it are bad. As long as they are consistent with the truth that they are associated with. In other words... 
I might like a song because I just like the tune and I just really like it because it's kind of upbeat and it's exciting and fun. Or I might like it because it just kind of resonates with my feelings or emotions of the day. But what really ought to be dr the driving force in determining whether this music is something that is helping me in my walk with the Lord is, is to ask myself, is this music drawing me closer to God? Is it drawing me closer to His Word and to truth? Is, is it based upon truth? And that kind of brings us to our next point, which is the right kind of music is actually instructional. Notice what he says in verse uh, 16, that we are to teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Did you know the right kind of music actually teaches? There are some songs, I I'll tell you this, I won't tell you which ones. There are some songs in our hymnal that I kind of like because they really are enjoyable. They're fun to sing. They kind of put a smile on your face. But when you really drill down into them, there's not a lot of depth and truth there. Now, I don't think that that's always bad. You know, sometimes a, a piece of candy after a good meal is okay, right? But we don't live there. That, that, can't, be the, that can't be our diet. And I believe what we really need to be doing is feeding ourselves truth. This is one of the reasons I love hymns that are doctrinally rich. Because they instruct us. And they, they not only align with the Word of God, it's not, even, it's not only like, well, I guess I can see, you know, that principle is found in the Bible. But, but I mean, when they are actually teaching truth that is consistent with the Bible, that are, it's essentially quoting from parts of the Bible, and it just draws us closer to the Lord because the truth is driving the music. And as the music is influencing me, it's influencing me in truth. And it's helping the word of Christ to dwell in me. And so our music, our meditations, these things all influence whether we're going to walk in the Spirit, whether we're going to have the fullness of the Spirit in our lives. I cannot, listen, I cannot watch a bunch of garbage on TV on Saturday night and expect to come to church Sunday morning and to preach a Spirit-filled message from the Word of God. I can't feed myself a bunch of garbage and expect something good to come out. And so the things that we put in matter. The Word of God matters. We ought to be feeding ourselves the Word of God, filling ourselves with the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, reminding ourselves of truth, singing, listening to music that lifts the heart to the Lord, our hearts to the Lord, that, that reminds us of truth and teaches us truth and helps us to walk more closely with the Lord. But if we really have to boil all of this down, what does it mean to live a spirit-filled life? I think we could say it's kind of summarized in verse number 17, where it says, And whatsoever ye do... In word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. There was a long time in my life as a Christian that I, I could have 
kind of tried to give you an idea of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And I probably would have described, you know, having God's power on your life, which is a good thing. But you know what it really means to walk in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit? It means that in everything we do, our greatest concern is, God, what do you want? Whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then he goes on, he gives all of these instructions about relationships, but they're not just about relationships. Look what he says. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. In other words, I'm not going to come up to you as a woman and say, listen, you need to submit to your husband and just obey him because it's the right thing to do. It is true. It is the right thing to do. But what should be your motivation in that? This is what God wants for me. And I am living to please him. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things. Why? For this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Hey, kids, young people, you think, well, mom and dad, you know, they don't, they don't understand, or they're hypocrites, or, or they're this or that. They're just mean. They're just controlling. No, 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 no. Do you want to please the Lord? Live to please the Lord. You're going to honor your parents because that's what pleases the Lord. Not because they're always right in what they do. Servants, or... Uh, yeah, servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. When you get up and you go to work tomorrow morning, do a good job. Not just because the boss is looking or because you want to get a raise or because you really love what you do. But do a good job and do your best because you're really not serving man, you're serving God. Verse 23, and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? It means that I'm actually yielding and surrendering to God every moment of the day. Where I'm saying, Lord, I'm not, I don't want to walk in my own wisdom. I, I don't want to do the things that are pleasing to me. I don't want to do the things that only make sense to me. I want to do what pleases you. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, it says... And whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Listen. The food that you eat, do you do it because you like it? Or do you do it because it pleases God? Answer that honestly between you and God. The things that you drink, do you do it just, oh, I'm thirsty. I enjoy this. Or are you doing it because it pleases God? Now, to, to many people, that probably sounds silly. 
But the idea is this. Everything in your life needs to conform to the will of God. And believe it or not, it matters to God. Now, you say, well, does God care if I drink water or I drink milk? Well, here's what I believe God cares about. He cares about whether you are yielded to him and submitted to him and saying, Lord, I want to glorify you. What do you want from me? How can I make this decision? By the way, if we allow that to affect the things that we eat and drink, we're going to allow that to affect the things that we wear. We're going to allow that to affect the words that we use. We're going to allow that to affect, again, the music we listen to, the things that we allow our eyes to behold and see. We're going to allow that to affect the way that we spend our money. God, is this what you want for me? How can I glorify you in this? Because the things that we do, in other words, that the idea, the concept of this passage of Scripture is saying the things that we do, on the surface it might look like they're just outward actions, but actually we have been transformed. We are now to live unto the Lord in everything. In everything we do, we're to live unto the Lord. So God, what do you want for me? How, how should I treat my husband, Lord? How do I need to treat my wife, God? Uh, Lord, how do you want me to respond to my parents? How do you want me to approach my work or my studies or whatever it is? Listen, you are not just doing it for yourself and you're not doing it for other people. You are doing it for the Lord. And so in everything, in everything, yield yourself to God. Submit to God. We're told to pray without ceasing. We're told to give thanks in everything. By the way, thankfulness is a huge part of this. As you walk through uh, this passage of Scripture over and over, you see thankfulness there, don't you? Uh, verse number 15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which uh, also ye are called in one body and be ye thankful. Verse 17, whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Verse number 2 of, of chapter 4, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Do you know that it actually takes a conscious effort to give thanks to God? It is, it, it, it is to be a normal, natural part of our life and, and part of our day. Lord, thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, for waking me up this morning. Thank you for giving me breath and life. Thank you for... Uh, uh, my wife, thank you for my children, thank you for my parents, thank you for the good things that you have done, thank you for, for salvation. I mean, we are to walk through life giving thanks to God. Why? It helps keep us in the spirit. <laughs> it helps keep our minds where they belong, meditating in truth, meditating in the word of God, filling ourselves with righteousness and, and, and holiness and uh, right things from the word of God and right music and and, and setting our minds where they belong, we submit ourselves to God in everything. 
in everything. And so really what we could say is that this passage and Ephesians 5 kind of summarize for us what the Spirit-filled life is all about. And here's what I want to say to you. I, I understand I've read stuff um, from you know, a long, long time ago, some of the old revival preachers and things, where the fullness of the Spirit is almost presented in this way of you have to, you know, it, it's like some anointing that you're going after that you've got to just sit and wait and plead for over and over. And listen, I, I'm not against pleading for God to use us and pleading for the Lord to work and pleading for revival and all of those things. But I want you to know that to be filled with the Spirit, it's not some mystical thing that's out there and it's elusive. It's actually commanded of us. It's available to us. It's expected of us. We are to walk in the Spirit and we are to be filled with the Spirit. Now, there's a lot more that I could say about this. I won't take the time to do that. But you say, how do you come to the conclusion that this is really all about surrender and submission to God in everything? Well, let's go back to Ephesians 5. And, I, and I'm just going to, we're going to read this. I'm going to mention something. And then we're going to dismiss in prayer. When we talk about being filled with the Spirit, again, I want to reiterate, this is something that is commanded. That means it is available to us. Verse number 17 of Ephesians 5 says, Wherefore be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So the, this is God's will for us. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but... Be filled with the Spirit. You ever read through the book of Proverbs and you notice the contrasts? Every verse is like, here's what a wise man does, but a foolish man does this. It, it's, it's a contrast to, to show you the difference. When talking about being filled with the Spirit, it's contrasted with drunkenness. Why? By the way, side note, I think this is a good reason to avoid alcohol altogether. You cannot be filled with the Spirit if you're under the influence of drugs and alcohol. It's impossible. They're contrary. All right. What does drunkenness do? Well, it influences you, doesn't it? In fact, we use that term, even legally speaking. Someone's caught driving... After they've been drinking, they'll be charged with a DUI, driving under the influence. Because we recognize and understand that alcohol does something in a person's body where it temporarily begins to control them and influence them, right? And it affects response times, it affects reasoning and logic, uh, you drink Enough, it'll affect the way that you speak. It'll affect the way that you walk. And it certainly affects your judgment, doesn't it? 
And actually, if you bring that out a little bit, a little bit longer, if someone gets into, um, you know, long-term drinking problems, it starts to have negative effects on their family relationships and their job and every area of their life starts to be touched by this addiction. But did you know that the fullness of the Spirit does much the same thing, but rather than doing it in a negative way, it does it in a positive way? Rather than being under the influence of some substance, you're actually under the influence and control of the Spirit of God to where it affects your judgment. Let the Word of Christ dwell, with you, dwell in you richly with all wisdom. It affects your judgment. It affects the way you think. It affects the way that you speak. Right? The Holy Spirit will affect the way that you walk, not necessarily physically speaking, but your daily walk, the way that you live. And if you live a Spirit-filled life long enough, it'll affect other areas of your life as well. Your relationships, and your job, and your decisions, and it begins to touch every area of your life. So this, this idea of be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit starts to make more sense when you understand this isn't about some mystical weird thing. This is about letting God control your life. Letting Him influence and change you. And He even gives that prescription, really, of how to do that. And it deals with our meditations, and it deals with all of these things that we've just talked about. But I just want to simply say in all of this, listen, folks, we, we could say all of these things that we're saying in really one word. Abide. Abide. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, no more can ye except ye abide in me. We need God. We need to walk in Him. And that was actually the way that we started off chapter 3, wasn't it? Verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of the throne of God. We are to be seeking His will. We are to be seeking his way. And so tonight I hope that we'll just take these truths that have been presented and say, you know what? I want to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. And I'm going to do that by letting the peace of God rule in my heart. Letting the word of Christ dwell in me richly. By speaking to myself and speaking to others in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in my heart. To the Lord, and whatever I do, whether in word or deed, I'm going to do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Because if we will live our lives that way, folks, we will find that God's power does rest on our life. God can use you if you will yield and submit to Him.